Eagles Entertainment. Compassionate and trusted care. Clinical expertise. It's the cornerstone of NovaCare Rehabilitation and why they're the leading provider of physical therapy throughout the Delaware Valley. Don't let aches and pains or any injury slow you down. Schedule an appointment today at NovaCare.com. The Philadelphia Eagles choose NovaCare. So can you. NovaCare, the power of physical therapy. Eagles fans say it really was the hit that started it all. The first thing you saw was Timmy getting up off the ground with blood streaming out of his mouth and his helmet off. It was December 1967. The Philadelphia Eagles had landed at the Cotton Bowl to take on the Dallas Cowboys. The weather was just about perfect. 44 degrees with a light wind. The Eagles had been playing better than they had in years. In an earlier matchup that season, Philadelphia beat Dallas 21-14. So the Birds were feeling confident. Dallas was always the number one game on the schedule in terms of uh, competition. The losses were so painful and uh, the wins were so sweet. It just sort of naturally became super, super rivalry for me. But Dallas being Dallas, uh, we're not about to let the Eagles take them down at home. For the Cowboys, it was time to bring it. And boy, did they bring it. You are listening to Return Game, Birds, Boys, and Bad Blood, presented by NovaCare Rehabilitation. I'm Rob Ellis. And I'm Derek Gunn. We are here to take you behind the scenes of this volatile contest between the Birds and the Boys. It's a rivalry that has lasted for over five decades with no signs of letting up. For the Eagles, the 1960s were filled with ups and a few downs. But the decade started with a huge up. Eagles historian Ray Didinger starts there. The 1960 team was sort of a genie in a bottle kind of team. Uh, They weren't the best team in football, but it was one of those years where everything kind of broke their way. Their best players had great seasons all at once. They got a few lucky breaks. They will admit that. But they just got on a roll and just built confidence and built momentum and rolled right through the season. One of the teams the Eagles had to roll over was a new team out of Dallas. Lamar Hunt was the guy at the center of the story. Joe Horrigan, the retired Pro Football Hall of Fame executive director, takes it from here. In 1960, Lamar was actually trying to get a franchise in the National Football League. He was a 27-year-old, oil-rich millionaire, but he couldn't find room. There was no room in the house. George Hallis didn't want to expand, and he was kind of in charge of the expansion committee. If that name, George Hallis, rings a bell, it's because he is the legendary founder and owner of the Chicago Bears. Hunt thought, okay, NFL, if you aren't going to let me have a team, I'll show you. Hunt was raised in Texas, so he knew that Texas and Texans love football. But it was mostly high school and college. But they didn't have a pro team. So Lamar Hunt wanted his franchise to be in Dallas. So he decided that uh, he would form his own league. And it was called the American Football League. Now we know it is the American Football Conference. And reached out to a couple of others that had similar failures of trying to get expansion franchises. And one of those guys was Bud Adams, the man who would become the owner of the Houston Oilers. The National Football League, when they realized that this Lamar Hunt is going to actually form this league and might make a go of it, they started saying, well, what can we do to stop it? Turns out George Hallis had a plan. 
He approached Bud and Lamar with an offer. Would they be willing to kill their idea of a new league for franchises of their own in the NFL? It was what they had wanted all along. Sounds like a no-brainer, right? Bud and Lamar said, no, thank you. They had given their word. Hallis did not like this, so the NFL decided to try something else. The NFL then stole one of the AFL franchise pledges, uh, Max Winters, who was going to have the Minneapolis, Minnesota franchise, and offered him an opportunity to join the NFL in 61 if he would bail out of the AFL, which he did. But Hallis and the NFL were not ready to give up on their plans to derail Hunt and the AFL. They gave Clint Murkison a franchise for Dallas. Murkison was rich on his dad's money. And when he got this offer to have a franchise in Dallas, he jumped on it. That's really how Dallas got there as an expansion team in 60 to thwart the uh, efforts of the American Football League to have a franchise in that city. Murkison had his team, but the newly minted Cowboys didn't have a place to play. They didn't have a stadium, really, so they had to play at the Cotton Bowl at that time, which was a college facility. And it was your typical expansion team. They stocked it with cast-off players from the other teams. And so naturally, that team that came into the league as the Dallas Cowboys that year was just basically a team of everybody else's leftovers. Not the auspicious start you may have thought for a franchise that would become known as uh, America's team. The future rivals played their first game against each other in September of 1960 at the Cotton Bowl. It was only the brand new Cowboys second game. The Eagles go down to Dallas to play these expansion Cowboys, and they have a terrible struggle. The Eagles just barely hung on and won. They won it by two points. Here's a clip of the 1960s Eagles remembering the first game against the Cowboys. We should have come away with an easy win. We're going to go and play an expansion team. They're supposed to lay down, and uh, we can just walk over. It's a long rollout pass to Frank Clark. And Frank has his man beaten to scamper in for a 75-yard touchdown. Everyone that thinks about the Eagles-Cowboys rivalry, this was the first game in that series. Bill Barnes comes across and takes the outside route to a touchdown. We just didn't do a very good job in that game either. We won by a couple of points. If it hadn't been for those two block kicks, uh, we would have been embarrassed. And we were embarrassed anyway. The Eagles earned their first 1960 victory by the margin of the two extra point tries blocked by Bobby Freeman. Here you had a, a team... Starting out the season with uh, with a loss to Cleveland, barely beat Dallas, who would not win a game that season. They were 0-11-1, I think, in 1960. So there's little reason to believe that this is going to be a special season. And then they kind of caught fire. That was Riley Gunnels and Maxie Bond, along with the Inquirer's Frank Fitzpatrick. The expansion team lost that game to the established Philadelphia team, 27-25. The Cowboys finished their inaugural season losing all their games except one. That was a tie with the New York Giants. That year, the Eagles finished the season as champions. The game's over! The game's over! The Eagles are the champions of the world! Listen! The fans would need to hold on to that championship feeling because it would be a long time before the Eagles would win something this big again. After starting up with the ragtag team, the Cowboys drafted their first player in 1961. Bob Lilly was a defensive tackle drafted out of Texas Christian University. From the moment Dallas got that draft pick, they were on a roll. In 61 and 62, the teams traded wins and losses, with neither team getting the upper hand. But 
1963. On November 17, 1963, Philadelphia played Dallas at the Cotton Bowl. The Cowboys beat the Eagles 27-20. That was the last game the Cowboys played before the world changed forever. Well, I'm going to point one thing to you. The assassination of JFK in Dallas. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. Got a lot of people angry at the Cowboys in Dallas. Ed Bouchette is a senior writer at The Athletic. Women here in shock, some have fainted, servicemen standing by the emergency room, tears streaming down their face. John F. Kennedy was assassinated on Friday, November 22, 1963, in Dallas, Texas. The Cowboys were at practice, and Coach Tom Landry broke the news to the team after they had finished. Dallas was scheduled to play Cleveland that weekend. There was a lot of uncertainty. Would teams even play? This is the old Scotsman Gordon McClendon in Cleveland, Ohio. Here at Municipal Stadium. The NFL decided to move ahead with the games, so Dallas flew to Cleveland. The plane ride was very quiet. The Cowboys were on high alert. Tom Landry reportedly told his players, don't go to a restaurant and say you're with the Dallas Cowboys. Don't go in large groups. Try to stay inconspicuous. Hard to believe a football game where transistor radios are all tuned throughout the stands to some other event entirely. On game day, everyone watched Jack Ruby shoot and kill Lee Harvey Oswald. He's been shot. He's been shot. Lee Oswald has been shot. The Cowboys were in the locker room when somebody burst in and said, they just killed the man who killed Kennedy. Stunned, players looked around at each other saying, I told you we shouldn't even be playing here today. The players were just, I mean, they were getting death threats and everything else. The Cowboys were. So I think that was part of it. Running out into the field, the team was greeted by loud boos and a few Dallas go-homes. The announcers were told just to use Cowboys. Nobody wanted to say Dallas. For those of you who have interest in the world of sports, at this time, the final score was Cleveland 27, Dallas 17. The Cowboys lost to the Browns that day 27-17. to 17. The country was grieving, and all the anger for the assassination of this popular president was focused on Dallas. It became the most hated city in America for decades. And a lot of people think that is why all the teams hate the Dallas Cowboys. Between 1963 and 65, both teams were up and down. Gary Pettigrew signed on for the 1966 season out of Stanford. Pettigrew had offers from the NFL and the AFL, but it wasn't the money that sealed the deal and got him to the Eagles. I added a car to the deal, and they did it, and it was a a 427 Fastback Blue Corvette. It was great. They delivered it to a Palo Alto Chevrolet dealership, and... I don't know if you've ever been in a 427 or ever driven one of those old Corvettes, but I got in it. It was in the middle of the 
service bay where the concrete's really slick. And they gave me the keys, and I got in, started it, and let out the clutch. And I didn't even put my foot on the gas in a burned rubber. Down the middle of the service bay at the Chevy dealership, so I had to hit the brakes pretty fast. That was my opening experience through a 427 Corvette. He drove his new Corvette from California to Hershey, PA. Back in the 60s, the team had their preseason training there. There's also a big Hershey chocolate factory. So every morning we'd wake up and you could smell burnt chocolate because they were cleaning out the kiln. So it's really funny. And there he met Rod Medved. I was an offensive player in college. I was a running back. And uh, they drafted me as a potential defensive back. So anyway, I just was uh, lucky and grateful to have an opportunity. I'm glad the Eagles picked me. When Gary and Ron joined the team, Dallas was becoming more and more of a threat. They were always the rival. And, you know, I think that their players, they had such a talented team and they were building, building. I just remember that our games were super competitive, especially in the beginning. But there were exciting games and they had exciting players. Timmy Brown joined the Eagles in 1960, and he was still a key player in 1967. Pettigrew and Medved remember their teammate. He was a beautiful athlete. I mean, he uh, he was very elusive. He could run. He could catch. He was great on uh, you know special teams, you know, kickoff returns. You know, I had many opportunities to you know block for him on special teams. Off the field, Pettigrew remembers a fun-loving Brown. He had a great apartment. He used to give a lot of parties. One party I remember in particular, Will Chamberlain was there because he was playing for uh, Philadelphia. I can't believe the first time I saw him, how tall he was. It was just amazing. I mean, well over seven feet. It was something. But Tim used to have great parties, and his girlfriends were usually from New York. And so I could meet his girlfriends. Down Texas way, the Dallas defense is likened after doomsday. It's very probable that the word will spread to Philadelphia, too. It was the Eagles' misfortune to run into a bunch of mean cowboys on their recent visit to Big D. It was game day, Sunday, December 10th, 1967. The weather was just about perfect, 44 degrees with light wind. Now, the Eagles had beaten Dallas at home earlier in the season, but this time the birds were on Texas turf. Timmy Brown, Gary Pettigrew, Ron Medved were all suited up and ready to play. It was a nice stadium, you know, it, it wasn't huge. It was sort of old fashioned in the sense that it was like, a, it didn't have upper decks, you know, and it wasn't built out that way. It was, a, you know, a true oval type of, you know, stadium. Texas is unique. I don't know whether you realize this, but it's football in those days, and it still is kind of like a religion down there. Everybody knows about it. Everybody tries to get into the games. Everybody knows the players their names and numbers and uh, wherever we went the day or so before that we played the game you were you were the enemy the first thing you saw was timmy getting up off the ground with blood streaming out of his mouth and his helmet off leroy jordan played football for the university of alabama jordan was drafted to dallas in 1963 he was the first rookie linebacker in franchise history to start a season opener and he was small for a linebacker. Leroy Jordan was, yeah, he was, he was a good football player, but he was also a little rough and stuff like that. 
Leroy hit him late with an elbow in the face on a pass play and broke Timmy's jaw and knocked out a bunch of his teeth and gave him a concussion. It was a real cheap shot. Everybody knew it was a cheap shot. Jordan said in an interview with the Philadelphia Inquirer in 2013, you ask any player who played against me if I was a dirty player, and you'll find out I was not. I've never been a player who tried to put anybody out of a game or injure anybody. That never entered my mind. I didn't play that way and would never play that way. In that same article, Timmy Brown said it was the dirtiest blow I had ever had. Rumors swirled after the game that there was a bounty on Brown. The hit was a payback for a game against Dallas the year before. Pettigrew said he wouldn't be surprised if that had been the case. Uh, I don't want to say anything negative about Leroy. He had a good defense, and uh, he was their leader. Jimmy just was in the wrong place at the wrong time on that play, and he, he was exposed, and he got hit, and down he went. and That was the result. Rob, Jordan always denied those payback rumors. I'm sure he did, Derek. Brown has said that was the moment the rivalry between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys started. And to Ray Dittinger, it really was the hit that changed everything. That's when the series, I thought, kind of got personal. And that's when it got nasty. Up until then, it was just a football game. uh, And the Cowboys were just another team on the schedule. But when Leroy Jordan took out Timmy Brown... Uh, with an obvious attempt to injure kind of play. Then it became a real blood rivalry, and it just kind of grew from there. Timmy Brown played for the Eagles until the end of that season. He played one more season with the Baltimore Colts. After football, Brown became an actor. He was in the movie MASH. Now, this was his first role ever. He was also a regular in the first season of MASH, the TV show. As the 60s wound down, one thing was certain. This rivalry was here to stay. It was a rivalry then, prior to me getting there, and it just increased dramatically while I was there. The Cowboys, as a group, were as arrogant as you could find. And we were all inspired because they were so arrogant that uh, we just looked forward to sticking it in their ear. There was a lot of bad blood between the two teams, and it became probably our stiffest rivalry. In the next episode, we are off to the early 70s. The birds just can't seem to catch a break against the boys. Dallas plays in two Super Bowls and wins one. They take down any team in their way, including the Eagles. Will the Eagles' fortunes ever change? There is a glimmer of hope when a young coach from California arrives in Philadelphia and slaps a bullseye on the back of all the Cowboys. He had all the ingredients that you would want in a great head coach. He took this team that had been down so long and pulled them up by the bootstraps. You've been listening to Return Game. Birds, Boys, and Bad Blood, presented by NovaCare Rehabilitation. I'm Rob Ellis, along with Derek Gunn. Thanks for listening. This is our first episode, and there's plenty more rivalry intrigue to come. If you want to dive deeper into the Birds and Boys rivalry, head over to PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash Birds, Boys, Bad Blood, where you'll find photos, videos, additional audio, and even more behind-the-scenes content. compassionate and trusted care, clinical expertise, 
It's the cornerstone of NovaCare rehabilitation and why they're the leading provider of physical therapy throughout the Delaware Valley. Don't let aches and pains or any injury slow you down. Schedule an appointment today at NovaCare.com. The Philadelphia Eagles choose NovaCare. So can you. NovaCare, the power of physical therapy.